what did you guys eat for breakfast? Eggs. I made some oatmeal. That's what he had. I do intermittent fasting, so I didn't eat. My man. Let's eat. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms. The podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 74. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com I'd really to learn how they can help you, you get your merch business to the next level. Because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. This episode, I talked to three members of the McGrath Project, namesake Gary McGrath, Jonathan Moore and Jonathan McNary a Fort Worth-based band that is about to release a concept album influenced by albums such as Pink Floyd's The Wall and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Gary discusses moving to LA to learn studio engineering and becoming a session guitar player touring with some big names from past decades and returning to his hometown of Fort Worth to form a new version of the McGrath Project and record new music. We learn from both Jonathans about how they got started on their respective instruments and the amount of dedication that has led them to pursue a full-time career in music. This week, I've really been thinking about how to implement positive habits in order to incrementally improve myself in all aspects each day. Reading more and meditation practice have been a couple of the main items on my list, and while I haven't actually made them a bona fide habit yet, I have done a lot more in the last couple of weeks than I have in previous months. If, like me, you struggle to make lasting changes or feel you aren't as productive as you wish you would be, then I think shifting your mindset and reducing your to-do list to one or two critical items each day may be helpful. There is also the mindset of abundance. If you start the day with gratitude of what and who you have in your life, then everything you accomplish that day is a win, no matter how small. With this mindset, you can practice celebrating what you do get done instead of chastising yourself for what you didn't get completed. A book I would recommend on this subject would be The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. Give it a read and let me know what you think. Another book that was just recommended to me is called Atomic Habits by James Clear, which I have ordered and can't wait to read. Let me know if you've read that one. I'll close out this section by echoing what I said last episode. Be the change you wish to see in the world. If you can improve yourself and become a positive influence in how you treat people and what you do, then you lead people to make better decisions. Thank you for listening. So let's get on with the interview. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today I am joined by the Gary McGrath Project. How are you guys doing? Super. Doing well. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So uh, yeah, just for everyone listening, uh, who have we got in the room and you know, introduce yourself, what you do in the band. 
Uh, I'm Gary McGrath, and uh, I play guitar and do my best at singing, and some people like it, and some people howl at the moon. <laughs> uh, I'm Jonathan Moore. I'm the drummer, and then every now and again, I'll hit percussion as well. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Jonathan McNary. I play guitar. I do not sing. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. <laughs> And, and then uh, this is Junior. Just, he's just, our mascot. Yeah, he's the, he's hey, the yeah. Forever. Any if I release any video, I'll. I'll uh, anyone watching? We got a, a little one-year-old on the screen playing with something. So that'd yeah, be fun. fun. Yeah, he's playing with uh, the internet. See what so, um, and just for re- point of reference, uh, Jonathan on guitar is. Uh, you're also in Remain. Yeah, I'm in Remain. Yeah. Is that here. correct? So yeah, and we talked to um, we talked to Caleb a little while back, and uh, yeah, had a great interview with him. So. Um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind just starting out, like, telling me a bit about the band and, you know, what you sound like and, you know, where you're based. Okay. Uh, well, we're, we're based in DFW, specifically kind of half in Fort Worth, half in Denton. And uh, the band started initially in 2000, so it's 20 years old now, which makes me feel really old. And uh, uh, we, I, I grew up in Fort Worth. I went to University of North Texas. And then moved to Los Angeles, and uh, while I was there, I was working as an executive at Universal Music Group, and started being a touring musician for all these different nostalgia acts, and that's what started the band, where people in between tours bored, and they said, Can we? do you like to gig? We like hanging out with you. So it became this all-star band that would tour when their other bands weren't, and it started you know, getting a decent reputation, and then uh, when I moved back here... I kept getting asked if I was going to do anything more or anything else. And so uh, the, over time, it's kind of evolved into what it is now. We're working on our fifth record, which happens mm-hmm. to be a, a concept album, which I've never done before. And I've, it was kind of done by accident. Our co-producer kind of said, you know, if you put the lyrics in this way, it tells a very interesting narrative. And so we're, we're going with it. We're running with it. Awesome. Um, do, can you tell tell me what the uh, concept's about yet, or is it still kind of hush hush? Or it's a little hush hush at the moment. Okay. But uh, That's fair enough. the way that we're going to be promoting it once it, it should be out in April or May, so we'll we'll have a big to do of it. But uh, we're getting ready to release a the songs that everyone has liked off the first four records, and we've re-recorded them with the present lineup, and so we have something that's ours because we're going to be touring. Uh, most of April and May and July of 2021. So, and we're doing these random kind of one-offs in DFW and Austin and stuff. So, yeah, is that stuff booked? And are you, how how confident are you that that's actually going to happen? Don't know. That's a, that's the good question. We had an entire yeah. we had a great international tour lined up with us being the opening act for, for so many great other bands, mm-hmm. and of course it all just. Oh, we're going to push it back six weeks. Oh, we're going to push it back a month. Oh, we're going to push it back a year. And so now we've gotten the clear from promoters, especially for Spain and Portugal and Italy, to rebook some of those shows. So we've we've done that. So we'll see if it sticks with it. But we'll we'll probably won't really. I don't think I'll trust it until I'm actually sitting on the complaint uh, plane complaining about yeah. our bass player's feet. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So um can could you talk about how uh you know how the band started in, initially? Initially it got started like I was uh, being a recording engineer in Los Angeles for Universal Music Group and I was working with a bunch of bands from the sixties and seventies that had like two members left and they didn't own their masters mm. so they were re recording their hits so they could have product to sell live. 
and they, uh, I would play a bass part here or a guitar part there or whatever. And so they started asking me if I could go on the road with them. And so I did. And then the other members of that band would say, Hey, um, that was great. That was a fun two weeks, but there's the rest of the year we need food. So do you want to do some, some gigs and play your stuff? And so yeah. it, it started with that and kind of evolved. And then, uh, now cool. we've got based back in, in DFW. So I, I put a whole new band together with, uh, with these two guys and then two other people that uh, aren't here, but they're here in spirit, which would be, uh, Victor Torino and, uh, Bob Simmons. Nice. So are you from DFW or are you yes. from LA? I'm from DFW. Okay. So what made you move out there? Money. Well, <laughs> oh, straight to the point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, they let me. I, I, <laughs> Say again. They let me. I, I was, uh, I did a, uh, a live concert, the Toys for Tots concert, the House of Blues playing rhythm guitar for Brian Setzer. And at that show, some of the other members of, his band uh, started asking me if I could tour with them and do some performances with them. And I really wanted to, but I didn't live there. So the money that was offered wasn't worth it. So finally I said, you know, if I lived out here, it'd be a very different story. And I got very lucky and got hired on to tour with Peter Tork and the monkeys right away. And then went from Mm -hmm. that to Nazareth, to Devo, to uh, Penny and Mickey Gilly. And it just kept going and going. And then, I, a lot of people go out there with, a, you know, $2 and a dream and don't do anything. And I kind of hit the ground running and didn't stop for 15 years. That's awesome. Want to bring in the other two guys. How did you guys uh, get into music in the first place? Like, what Was there a specific band? And what got you into your instruments? Uh, <clears throat> okay, so this is, this is Jonathan Moore's answer. Uh, I Okay, so I come from a very, very, very musical family. Um, my mm-hmm. parents had me while they were actually in college getting their music degrees. Um, so they've both been, uh, like heavily involved in orchestras and kind of that, the, the more classical side of music. Um, so I, I grew up around that and, uh, around that kind of environment and those, those types of people. Um, so my, my first instrument was actually violin at about the age of three or four. Um, and then just kind of gradually morphed into several different kinds of instruments. Of course, mom did the stereotypical thing of like, you've got to take piano lessons and like the stereotypical boy. I was like, I don't want to. And now being an adult musician, I'm like, man, Mm. I wish I'd stuck with it. Uh, (laughs) It's funny how that works out. Yeah. Um, It's okay. Girls like drummers better anyway. I guess we'll have to wait and find out whenever we all come back. Um, But uh, the... Uh, one one of those uh, one of those kind of like musical, one of those musical explorations was uh, my younger brother had gotten a drum set for Christmas, um, and like any older brother, I of course stole it and and wanted to start <laughs> start working on it myself. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So my brother is actually the one who got me into drums. Uh, we both learned from the same book, um, and then I uh, started kind of taking that, and I was listening to uh, lots of bands that I really enjoyed their drumming, and so I would uh, start to just kind of listen to what their drummer was doing and try to replicate it as best I could, um, and then, yeah, just, I had I had the one kind of beginner book, and then from that point on, it was all self-taught, just listening to a whole bunch of a whole bunch of bands and just trying to figure out what I sound like and how I can get better. And 
then mm. one thing kind of led to another and eventually I started kind of getting to the point where I was around uh, a lot of other uh, musicians that were either looking to do stuff or just wanted to jam and one thing kind of led to the to the next and now I'm in a handful of different projects but the McGrath project is is absolutely one of those so yeah Gary awesome. and I uh, we've um, we've kind of had we started with kind of overlapping circles um, and we just gradually got introduced to one another. Gary needed a drummer for uh, a gig that he had. I happened to be available, and so he reached out, and I said yes, and that quickly turned into me becoming the principal drummer for the McGrath Project. Awesome. Yeah. And what was there a was there a specific musician that that uh, like sparked your interest in initially, or did you just basically your brother, and then? Yeah. The. I'd say the one that captured my imagination the most, <laughs> and th- this will be this will be controversial, but I don't care because I love it. Uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater. Uh, there you go. Thank you. Clark. Now you have my attention. Okay. Now you have my attention. Thank God. That is awesome. oh <laughs> yeah, my uh, one of those bands that I was I mentioning about theater too. <laughs> one of those bands that I mentioned, like whenever I was if first starting drumming, uh, Dream Theater was a heavy, heavy, heavy influence. Um, And they were ones that I was listening to constantly while I was learning drums. So I actually learned drums by playing to Dream Theater songs. And yeah, so so it is is entirely because of Portnoy that I... I, I am very happy to hear that. I'm actually in... Are you familiar with the um, the Images and Words biography by, uh, I want to say, Simon somebody or other? He's, he's a British, like, new... Um, Oh, what's he called? Biography. No. It's it's a so it's a biography that was crowdsourced before crowdsourcing, Hmm. and um, I'm actually in in the uh, supporters thing in the back of the book because I I paid for it like six months in advance, and you know it's exactly how crowdfunding is is done now. Um, but they did it way way back, and that was the first. I think it's gone through like three or four editions now, but I'm in the original one, so that's 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 awesome. awesome. That's awesome. So. First, I'm gonna say that's the first time I've ever heard somebody get excited. Yeah, most of the time whenever I say that uh, Portnoy is my my idol, Everyone's people like, are like, "Cool, all right." Who's that? Or or they're yeah. like, "Wow." Or it's like Forrest Ulrich. Yeah. It's the yeah. fact that you have to say from Dream Theater that people go, "Oh, oh what's that?" He's only oh, yeah. Yeah, um, my story is a little similar. So my dad and my mom met at Belmont University up in Nashville, um, which is a you know very music heavy school. My dad went for music business and my mom was on a scholarship as a first chair clarinetist. Yeah. I've never heard her play once. And I'm 21. <laughs> um, See, my parents met at Dairy Queen. That's just <laughs> well, hey, you know what? Um, but yeah, so like, I kind of, you know, I grew up in a family um, in New Orleans specifically. So very jazz heavy culture. Moved here about seven years ago. I uh, grew up in a family where my dad was just constantly playing piano whenever got off work and always noodling around and stuff like that. And so, you know, kind of like him, my first instrument was the piano top at the age of six. And I think I took piano for about seven years. Uh, looking back again, yeah, I wish I had kept up with that, but I didn't. So um, kind of lost track of that. And I moved to Fort Worth, Texas uh, seven years ago. So when I was like 14, seven and a half years ago and uh, started to pick up guitar when I was about 15. Um, took about two lessons and then didn't take a single lesson past that and was self-taught up until about a year ago. Um, so the bulk of me figuring music out was 
figuring out artists that I like and learning chords through those songs, um, but not really like soaking in the information because uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just playing what they played. Um, so then I moved to UNT and I'm like, holy crap, I'm horrible at my instrument. Uh, <laughs> which UNT does that to you. And I stayed in Bruce Hall, which for those who, those, for those who know, it's the, it's the music dorm um, up there. So it's very okay. intimidating. But uh, learned from a guy up there named Brennan Shrestha, who's a local artist um, out of UNT in kind of like the DFW area. Incredible guitarist. Um, then I started to get kind of more into like the theory-heavy type of stuff and really try to understand what I'm doing and, you know, learning from that aspect and jamming with people that were way beyond my years at UNT. Uh, I mean, UNT I've does met, that. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I met, I met people in the 1 o'clock jazz band and would hang out with them and just see them play and be like, wow, this is very, very impressive. Um, and then a guitarist that really, really caught my attention was Mateus Asado. Um, okay. He's the guitarist for Tori Kelly specifically. Um, he's insane, dude. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's honestly based kind of like how he plays is he, he learned from a lot of vocalists and applies that melodically to his instrument. Uh, so like Tori Kelly's riffs, he tries to figure out those riffs and he plays the riffs that accompany her vocals as well as possible. Um, okay. And then about a year into college, I met this dude who's, he goes to my church. My dad's the priest of our church. Um, and he was jamming out with this guy named Nicole Raglan, um, who I didn't know at the time, but he asked me to come jam out with them. And then I joined this band that we're in called Fiction Theory out of Fort Worth. Um, and then from there, I got introduced to the Graph Project because he mentioned me to Gary. Um, and yeah, so that's just kind of kind of where I am now. But awesome. And now, and now you're obviously studying John Petrucci's uh, soloing. <laughs> I'm studying who? John Nobody John else in the yeah, room gets yeah. that. <laughs> number one goal. Yeah. <laughs> So, Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. You're writing a new um, new album. Uh, what is your release strategy? Like, how are you, how are you finding fans? And like, what what's you know in in today's you know we, we what's streaming and things seem to be going more singles oriented. You know, what's your uh, from a prog background? I'm really into concept records and everything. So that format's kind of really alien to the current structure of how stuffs releasing so how like what are you doing to you know build up you know a buzz about it well the funny thing about the the band the band has a really strong following overseas and which still shocks me to this day um we actually we were playing the other day and someone started asking for singles that we haven't played ever and it was pretty interesting um but uh one thing about you know mainstream pop music is it has its trends and that it goes through whatever they may be at the time. And most independent bands, you'll, you'll have this kind of split where ones try to catch up to it and are always just slightly behind. And then you have bands that just kind of run away from it. And we're kind of one of those that runs away from it. You know, as you mentioned, everything's kind of going back to singles and streaming and we're kind of going, well, let's do the exact opposite. Let's put out a concept record and uh, have it be done, uh, as both of them mentioned, we, we all come from a very kind of classical, theatrical background and upbringing, so we're kind of taking a page out of kind of the, the, the wall, and uh, we're having it, we're going to play these shows of this, this record in its entirely, but we're going to play it in the orchestra pit, and it's going to be acted out through uh, an actual theater company, and we're going to tour it that way. 
to where it's really going to be live theater. It's not going to be a bar thing um, because this, this record doesn't really translate to that. But it's going to be a very visual thing. And the, the advantage of being in, you know, for him being at UNT and uh, us having, you know, connections through different universities is we get to use their theater departments and their theaters for a tour. So when you have these directors and kids that are really excited about lighting effects and special effects in general and um, being able to do something that's as over the top as you can possibly imagine, that's, that's what we get to do. And uh, I find it to be a little refreshing and different because there's only so many ways you can sit in your living room like this and go, okay, we're going to play some songs for you. And yeah, We could act it out. I mean, we could act it out, but <laughs> then everyone's going to hear you know, our yeah. keyboard player do Yoda impressions all day. And it'll, yeah, it's it'll weird. It's great when he quotes the Bible, but past that, it's odd. Yeah. <laughs> Killer. Um, and and how are you finding like social media? Uh, you know, is that is that part of your um, strategy? Yes and no. Um, obviously, you can't do anything today without having you know a social media presence, and so that's kind of what they do, and they uh, get to do more of that. Whereas we get to kind of create buzz with it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, we get to kind of create things that get to come see this event. Um, our, uh, our, our bass player kind of described the concept to me as kind of being a modern Rocky Horror Picture Show in the sense that people go to be interactive and sing sure. along with it and dance things out and says that's kind of what we can create, but instead of it being something that has a cult following, to create it kind of from the ground up. So that's kind of a – I didn't think about it until he said it, and I thought it was kind of an interesting challenge. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of that is kind of missing from music is people – you know young bands and, and inexperienced bands don't really think about putting on an experience for people. And that's what, you know, really, you know, sticks with you. But if you're just seeing a, a you know, a, a garage band that are just looking at their shoes and they're like, well, the music should be good enough. Well, no, it's, it's gotta be an experience. And, you know, that's what people pay money for. If you think about the, th as you said, if you think about the theater experience, it's a, it's a whole experience and, you know, and if you can get the the uh, the interaction with the audience, that's even better. Well, as you mentioned, coming from a prog background, if you look at the you know the way music was, and you'd have people have this buzz about Rush or Dream Theater or anything like that, it was the the fact that uh, there was something different. They got to they wanted to go experience. People went out to do that, and of course now with the current climate, getting people to go out and gather in large groups is kind of difficult so now it's kind of creating something that you hear about that you have to experience in person yes you can see a stream of it yes you can watch a video of it but it is the difference between going to a concert of your favorite band and watching it on youtube there is a very different feeling of you know pushing air and feeling that room and, and getting that excited from the people next to you about what's going on and that's something that we've been doing quite well we've been kind of Doing, like I said, these one-off shows in Austin and going back and forth. And we seem to keep creating excitement because people keep walking up to us going, you're the best band here. And we're like, really? That's sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. we get it almost every, every time. Every time. We regularly get that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to mention uh, my friend Dave uh, has a, 
uh, Waking Up From Work podcast. He's been on my podcast a couple of times. He actually interviewed, and I, I'm blanking on his name, but he was a producer slash... Uh, he did he did some touring with Pink Floyd, uh, maybe the keyboard player at one point. Uh, like a, not, not obviously the keyboard player, but as backing musicians or whatever. And he's created... With, along with the Pink Floyd's blessing, I guess, this kind of, um, you know, the big uh, theaters that are completely surrounding the 360, I'm, not not IMAX, but the big ones, and or, you know, maybe the planetarium type ones, um, and they've created this whole Pink Floyd experience that's virtual reality, and, and, and the, his whole point was, you got to create that experience for people to pay money to come see you. Yeah, that's um, cool. Well, it, and it, it, one of the things that I learned in Los Angeles is when you were playing, and it doesn't matter if you're a garage band or whatever, it, your competition wasn't the garage band next door to you. Uh, if you go down to the Strip on Sunset or go to Nashville or New York, your competition are is really your heroes and people that you would never expect because you might be playing you know, the Cat Club on the Sunset Strip. Well, next door you have Slash Snake Pit. And then across the street, you have, you know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And then you have the Killers doing an underground show. And then you have the guys from the Foo Fighters doing their uh, Chevy Metal type of thing. And that's your competition. And so if you're not doing something spectacular, who's going to pay the 10 bucks to walk in the door when they had the other option? And it's the same thing when you have an, an arena band or a big band come through town. Um, and you have all your friends that are wanting to come out. And you have the, your buzz and some actual fans it's your who's going to come see you on a night where they could go see their favorite band and so it's right. it, it's making sure that you you make it to where they go oh yeah i can see that band on youtube anytime but i can i need to go experience this and that's, right. that's something all of us take a lot of pride in trying to do so let me put this out um i i don't know if you any any of you guys are familiar with the jazz fusion band mobbin the, they're Israeli jazz. They're out of Chicago. Anyway, so they they so they were they were talking about touring with um, uh, Alan Holdsworth and some jazz greats. Um, and the and and I think they were towards the end of their career. They were getting kind of jaded, and they were saying, you know, this state in the middle of nowhere or this town is is kind of a flyover city. We don't bother with that. And um, Danny from Marbin was. You know, you don't know if if you go to this, you know, backward, you know, bar and, you know, and you don't play there, you'll never get the guy coming up and saying, wow, I love, you know, all these jazz greats and, and can talk hours and, and you're finding new fans from these, you know, they may be a bit more sparsely populated, but, you know, to your point, if you can see, if you're in the major metroplexes and, and the big cities and if there's all this stuff going on, you know, maybe going to these lesser visited areas might be a good strategy because then you could oh, yeah. build fans that way and you're bringing something to their town or their city that's not as you know not as as seen yeah yeah so um yeah i mean have you got any good la stories since you were there for so long that that you can tell you know la stories are interesting and i i think the the my favorite one was uh Taking him in January, we went to the NAMM show, and uh, it was kind of you know, pointing out, you know, there's this venue, there's that venue, and you'd hear stories about how, you know, fill in the blank, you know, what band was discovered playing that room, 
and seeing them, it, it brings a lot of reality to uh, what entertainment is. And uh, you said something to that effect to me, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was it, it made it tangible. Well, yeah, it was yeah, it was like walking specifically Sunset Boulevard and just having someone point out, okay, this is where this this is where this band got their start. This is where this band got their start, um, and seeing history tangibly there, like you can actually, it, it, I mean, it's kind mm. of like going to you know the New England states or going you know, to, to Europe and seeing buildings that are like thousands of years old. And you're just like, wow, this is the place where this occurred. And, you know, to have the modern version of that where like, okay, this is a band that I grew up listening to or a band that heavily influenced me or heavily influenced my parents. And that's the bar where they got started. So yeah, like just walking around LA is a story unto itself. Cool. Just seeing history played out before your eyes. Awesome. But my favorite L.A. story, I guess, recently, is uh, we're walking through this convention, and uh, it's just sensory overload, absolute sensory yeah. overload. And, uh, of course, we're starving, and so he's, uh, Jonathan grabs uh, some food and sits down on the ground. It's like, I'm going to be quiet, and I'm just going to eat my food, and we're watching well, a Tower, concert. I'm pretty sure Tower of Power Yeah, Tower of Power was yeah. playing, so he's like, I'm going to uh -huh. sit see Tower Power and eat my food and have a nice lunch and kind of check out a little bit. And as he's doing it, this guy comes and stands next to him and he's like, yeah, they're pretty good. And he's eating. He's like, yeah, they're pretty good. And uh, it was Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers and he didn't notice it at all. Just, are you sure it was Chad Smith? Or it was I should have known. <laughs> Both are acceptable. <laughs> yeah. But this is also That's with cool. Chad Smith on his left and Matt Thompson from... Um, King Diamond on his left. So it was kind of interesting to watch him just go, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat. And then just, just keep eating. eating and not, not pay attention. I was standing that's next so to him. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I just want to dig into LA a little bit more. I mean, obviously, you, you had all these different, um, you know, connections, one band to another. Like, is there is there one big takeaway that you would say, you know, positive takeaway from that experience and then maybe one thing that you you learned that was like i'm not doing that again and people shouldn't do that well the the positive thing is most of the bands that have been really really big are mm. usually uh even if it, they're only big for 10 15 minutes doesn't really matter are usually the sweetest individuals because they it, it's not an ego thing it's not i'm the better than you thing and there's always going to be those musicians that have that reputation, but it's being the nice guy and doing what you do best and leaving the business up to the business management and having mm -hmm. the proper team because the team has to make the hard decisions that are kind of the, the dick moves more or less. And the musicians don't like doing that and it puts them in a weird spot. But when you have the, an actual management and publish uh, publicists and promotion teams, they can handle that stuff to where you can just enjoy being yourself. You don't have to wear all the hats and, and change things around. And then you have those bands that are so proud of their own playing that they think the world revolves around them um, or spin around them, as one would say, without giving much away. Um, and uh, so that that's the positive I, I would take that. It's just always, I, I was told, you know, 
everyone was nice to me because I couldn't figure out everyone kept telling, oh, everyone's fake, blah, 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 blah. And I got a lot of just a lot of positive reinforcement from the get-go. So I was like, I don't, why does everyone say people are fake? And uh, an engineer that was training me uh, said, no one knows who's going to be the next big thing. No one knows who's going to get the financial backing to push their product. So if you're a dick, you automatically lose whatever. And he said, but if you're the nice guy and people get along with you, then you have a better chance of working. And yeah. they said, no one really cares. They don't, they don't get into if they think your music's the best or the worst. They just know that if you value their opinion, they value yours. It's a lot of give and take. And that's the best thing I can pull out of it. The, the negative thing is you have those people that really just feel that if you don't use certain gear or you don't know certain protocol or you don't know certain things, then you are below their time. And there's a mm. lot of that, but again, that's mostly not the artists themselves. It's more of the, the business side of things or the, mostly the venues, but the artists mm. themselves, you don't you don't see ego that much. And if you do, it's kind of more of the pissing contest, you know, who can drink who under the table or who did more drugs and is still living or who thinks they did more drugs, but they can't really recall it. Um, <laughs> right. And not as much as a, you know, who, who can play a million notes in a minute. I think my, my favorite thing is so I went with a classic rock guy to a jazz concert. He mm -hmm. took a, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just tell the story. Uh, Manny Charlton from Nazareth said, let's go see Pat Metheny. I said, great. I said, you know, Nazareth being there mm -hmm. two to three hit wonder wanting to go see Pat Metheny. I thought that was really cool. And halfway through Pat's set, Manny leans over and goes, you see that? All those notes, and he still hasn't found the right one. <laughs> but, he, but he said it loud enough to where everyone around us was like, what? <laughs> so I went, I went to go get a drink and I stayed in the lobby for an hour. <laughs> it was a, it was a fun time. Um, yeah. So what, what you've got your, uh, your guitars out. I mean, this will be a first of having actual, you know, a live performance on the, on the podcast, which I'm really, uh, really pumped about. So, yeah, feel free. What would you like to play and go for it? Let me see this out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is a song called Your Secret Is Out. It's been one of the most popular ones that we've had for YouTube and whatnot. So we're it's a, our fun little ditty. So. One, two, one, two,
Awesome. Thank you so much. That was great. I forgot how much hard leads are playing. I was just going to say, that's a piano solo. <laughs> I didn't think about that topic. Like this song. Yeah. <laughs> High action on an acoustic guitar. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, we, we heard a little bit of your experience in L.A. and, you, you know, major and uh, po some positive and negative stuff. So I'd like to uh, talk to both Jonathans and uh, pose pose my questions to you that I do at the end. Um, what significant negative experience have you overcome and what did it teach you? Oh, boy. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> you first question. Oh, yeah, mark. because I definitely have something off the cuff. Uh, give me a second. Okay, so this one, it's more of like, I don't know. I would describe this as like a soft negative instead of like a harsh negative where it's like a traumatizing event as opposed to a just kind of like, I mean, generally just kind of depressed kind of thing, like a very, a very soft, but like very impactful uh, negative. Um, I, <laughs> sorry. Um, I really honestly didn't know if music was going to be a thing for me. Um, like there was, there was a period of uh, my life where I was like this, like full-time musician. That's absolutely what I'm going for. I mean, like how, how could I not? Um, and then right. having to, uh, and th this was like whenever I was just going into high school. So like, you know, 14, 15, really thinking that I know what my life is going to be about and all that kind of stuff. But the, uh, you know, just re really thinking that I, I was going to go that direction uh, and then trying to make that happen with some friends, but, like, nobody around me was really as into music as I was, so I didn't really have anybody to kind of run with. Um, so that was a small negative in and of itself. It really taught me how to kind of be self-driven and really, you know, find my own, you know, ignition and really kind of crank that. Uh, but, you know, after
after doing that for years and nothing really coming of it, I was kind of like, okay, you know what? Maybe maybe I won't do music, and maybe I'll go like into business or something. And so I kind of put mm. music on the back burner um, and didn't really do music at all for like a year. And I was in an environment where my music was uh, kind of being taken advantage of. The, the people that I was around weren't very healthy. They weren't really uh, doing anything productive with their music they were either just kind of like trying to be way too controlling or uh they weren't going anywhere they weren't doing anything um testify yeah uh so that like i you know that was the experience that i had and so i was kind of like man if this is if this is it then i I don't want to do this so i kind of gave up on music and was just kind of like okay i'll I'll keep it as a hobby but i'm not really going to do anything with it um and then you know Six months later, I had like this massive urge to. Uh... Sorry, there's a Morocco leaving the room. Yeah. Uh, just this massive urge to like really get back into music and to give that another shot. And I was initially mm. super confused about why that that desire was coming back. Um, and after some just kind of soul searching, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it another shot. I'm gonna just tough it out and I'm just going to keep going until something happens. Um, and so I like got into the, into my practice studio and I was there like every day and I was practicing multiple hours a day, just kind of like working on my craft and just, you know, basically preparing myself to take advantage of whatever opportunity comes. Um, and then it was shortly after that, that, uh, McCall Ragland, the guy he mentioned well, uh, well before he approached me about joining fiction theory and, uh, so I didn't know what that was going to turn into, um, to this date, we're, we're working on lifting it up off the ground, uh, but it hasn't really done much, but it's a, fun project. It's a very fun project awesome. and it's been, that has been one of the most musically fulfilling areas of my life. And I wouldn't have had that had I not like just stepped up and gone ahead and pushed forward. Um, and then about six months after that is whenever Gary reached out and asked me to, to come and be the drummer for the McGrath Project. So, um... Did you ever figure out what it was that sparked the fire? These deep questions, man. <laughs> I, the best that I can give is that I think any musician, and not someone who plays an instrument, there, there's a difference there. And, yeah. Uh-huh. Any musician will know what I mean whenever I say like I couldn't not play like it you know just after months of just like trying to do something else and try to make something else work it felt empty Mm. my life wasn't complete there was something that was missing um there was a lot of like personal growth that I had to go through just like maturity wise uh, but I know that a huge portion of that was also like, dude, you're a musician. You're supposed to be playing music. What are you doing? <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. And so like not having that really just kind of kept building and building pressure until eventually it was like, all right, I don't care what happens. I don't care how small of a musician I am. I don't care what the project is. I just want it to be good. I want to work with people that I like and people that respect me and I respect them. Um, and you know, the, the music is a priority and not ego, not venues, not, you know, getting connections or, you know, being huge or whatever. 
It's like the music and the people. And I've been incredibly blessed to find myself in uh, multiple projects now that have those, those same, those same values. Awesome. Yeah. I, I definitely feel you there. Had to had some similar experiences with, you know, not having the right people and not having the music be the, the thing. So yeah, Jonathan, what about you? Yeah, man. So, um, I think the biggest one, I have a few that I could bring up, but I think the biggest one I'll bring up is uh, kind of what I talked about before from not really taking lessons and going to UNT and just feeling like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. Um, because I mean, like at a very young age, I could say probably like age of 10, I was like, I want to be in a band. Like, that's that's what I want to do. I want to have fun. I just want to see what it's like. Who cares what happens? Let's just see what it's like. Uh, getting to UNT was like, I have a lot to catch up on. Um, and I think what happened with that is it sparked uh, a lot of more insecurity than excitement to grow in the instrument. Um, and that was kind of something that I had to overcome. Because, I mean, you're again, you're surrounded by incredible people. You're surrounded by people. I mean, I knew my neighbor was a violinist uh, from Alaska. So it's just like people all over the world, all over the U.S., and um, they're all there for, you know, because they earned it, and they did what you just put in a guitar. <laughs> Probably a pick. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so I think throughout my journey with that, uh, I <laughs> developed a mentality where I was less insecure about people that were better than me and being surrounded by people that were better than me and decided to flip my mentality into, okay, let's surround myself with people that will always force growth and always force an excuse to learn something, whether that be like my religion, whether that be spirituality, whether that be music, whether that be physical health, like literally anything. Like, okay, what do you have to offer that I can learn from? Um, and that's honestly what pushed me to start working a lot harder at my instrument and at life in general. Because that's just, I mean, that's a mental barrier that a lot of people have to get over to do better in several life aspects. Um, mm -hmm. And once I started to get over that hump and start pushing myself more and more, uh, band that, you know, McCall Raglan was introduced and it seemed like the more that I pushed myself, the more opportunities were presented to me, regardless of whether I felt like I was ready for them or not. Uh, the McGrath Project is a perfect example of that. Um, it's a situation where I've had to be very uncomfortable and push myself like to the furthest level, you know, that I feel like I can go. Because uh, Victor doesn't wear pants. It's it's because yeah, it's because our pianists wear pants. Um, but yeah, and I'm incredibly, 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 incredibly thankful for the people that are in my life now, whether it's in this realm of music or, you know, family, friends, whatever, um, because realistically it helped develop me into that very healthy mentality of, okay, let's just keep pushing. Let's just see what happens. And, you know, I think there's a mistake a lot of musicians make where they get very excited about being in a band, very excited about the venues, very excited about that lifestyle. And they forget that you actually need a passion for what you're playing, um, uh -huh. which is incredibly important. Uh, so one thing I've tried to establish, because I mean, again, I, I grew up in a musical family. My dad played a huge role in helping me develop this mindset of create the passion for your instrument, create the passion for your career, create the passion for your friendships. Um, whatever happens after that happens, you still have the passion. So like, you know, why, why worry about it? And I think that's put, I, I've been able to put a lot more or find a lot more enjoyment in the projects that I'm in. Specifically because I'm not putting as much pressure on it. I'm not as, you know, worried to push myself and all that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I always tell people that are interested in getting into music, like, just make sure you develop a passion for something before you decide you want to try to make that your career. 
because music's not guaranteed right. like a lot of things. And I think we all figured that out when COVID hit. Um, that, I mean, even the most stable job cannot be as stable anymore. And so, you know, find security in where you are, surround yourself with people that cause growth and, you know, develop passions for what you really want to do before you try to search for a career in it. So. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, and and uh, flipping the, the question around, um, anyone want to answer, um, what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this journey? And I think you've touched on that a little bit, but if there's anything like one specific aha moment from anyone that's like, oh, I have to do this now because. Uh, for me, um, it was probably the first, I, I guess I'll say tryout for the fiction theory band that we're in. Because, uh, I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, here's, here's a few songs, Lord, and get them down, can try out. And I was not ready for that at all. Um, and once I got over that, I was like, huh, okay, I can maybe do this. Hopefully they let me in the band. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of the first moment where I was like, this is really cool. Just people that jam out with people that I care about and people that I'm interested in learning from. I think that was a very uh, big sign for me of like, okay, I want to want to see where I, where I can take this. So, yeah. Yeah. For awesome. me, uh, the, the big aha moment for me was um, kind of in that kind of, in between spot where I put music in the back burner, my my test for myself to tell whether or not what I had was um, just a infatuation or if it was genuinely a passion, I gave myself the the goal of spending thirty hours a week for a month straight um, doing something drumming related. Great. So. Uh, that included practice in the studio, that included uh, listening to podcasts that were drum-related, that included watching online lessons, um, all that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so, so 30 hours a week, and this was on top of my 45-hour-a-week job. So I was, I was working full-time wow. and then doing 30 hours a week of... And you uh, still can't drum. <laughs> I still can't find two and four. Yeah, but... Uh, that, that was going to be my test. I was going to see, okay, I'm going to commit to 30 hours a week for a month. Um, and if at the end of the month, I still want to play drums and I didn't burn myself out doing that, then nothing is going to shake my confidence anymore. Like that, that is going to be something that I do. Uh, and sure enough, at the end of the month, mm-hmm. uh, I, I came out of that having grown significantly at my instrument and then still like just as on fire to like keep going with, uh, with all of the, the development. And, um, there's been ebbs and flows to that desire to like keep that level of effort going. Um, but, uh, through it all, I know that like that, that passion and that drive is absolutely part of who I am. So that was a huge, that's fantastic. fantastic. Um, Gary, any, anything to add? All that's, you know, great, but have you tried KFC? <laughs> that really stuck <laughs> I mean, you can't that's, help but sing the you, phrases. You, 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 take one, you take one bite of that, you know, diesel fried chicken, and it just Hallelujah. makes your heart and then, uh, explode. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Final question. What does music mean to you? Man. And I think I think Jonathan already touched on that with the whole, you know, no, you know, having the passion of you just can't not do it. So 
I, you, you're allowed to sit this one out. <laughs> Thanks. I'll take uh, I mean, I'll go. I mean, music to me, I found out kind of when quarantine hit and the whole corona thing. Uh, it was a very, and trying to use it in the healthiest way possible, but it was a way to kind of keep me grounded in reality to an extent. Uh, whether it was writing or producing and learning all that or just listening to artists that I appreciate and respect. Like, it was a very healthy way of kind of letting me just back away from all the craziness that was going on and just kind of zone out for a little bit and focus back in, you know, the present and just enjoy the moment. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. I swear you said KFC. <laughs> Have you ever heard of KFC? <laughs> uh, music is... Um... It's history, it's culture, and it's the human experience uh, from the fact that it was born out of how primates communicated and evolved into a spiritual, religious effect, and then it became a social status, and then it became uh, how someone expressed love, fear, passion, dreams, and that's all prevalent to this day and to where you're noticing it now with it being taken away. It's not mm. being taught. It's not being passed down. It's not, I mean, it's still readily available, but you have people that don't know that it's readily available. And you have it being looked over, and now you have the de-evolution of the human spirit because of that. So that's what music means to me. It is the heartbeat that keeps life going. Fantastic. All right. Uh, and where, if people want to find your music, find out about you, get in touch with you, where can they go? KFC. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Wherever the sauce is good. <laughs> Canes. Yeah. Um, no, you can go to the um, Facebook, the McGrath Project. You can go to Spotify and look up the McGrath Project. You can... Google it, you'll find everything. We have a new website that's under construction, so once we figure out what where, what domain we're going to have, we'll have that out. But Google is your friend. Put in the McGrath that's Project awesome. and, then, and ignore those pictures with the goat. That goat was just a jerk. Stupid. Okay. Drums roll, though. Drums roll, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so normally I play a song at the end uh, of the podcast, so I didn't know if you want to play a pre- pre-recorded song for the end and we'll have the live one in the middle or if you just want to play another one totally up to you yeah we'll, we'll send you one yeah okay and what 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 would that be and what's the story behind it yeah she's still preoccupied with 1981 yeah <laughs> um Anyway, so, enough of that. Uh, hmm, what shall we send? Okay, so I'll send you Casey's Last Chance. Um, okay. The yeah. song is about absolutely nothing, but yet it's also about everything. Um, it was, it, it sounds like the B-52s and Devo decided to throw a circus. And uh, so with that in mind, you have uh, this inner monologue of that girl you should never have dated, even though you did, against your better judgment. 
And uh, you keep what in the world? Sorry, my son is calling people. <laughs> well, that's an interesting. We just booked another gig. Um, <laughs> my son just sent pictures. Um, that's awesome. interesting. Um, yeah, great job. Anyways, Casey's <laughs> anyway, Casey's last chance. Uh, anyway. A girl that you shouldn't have dated, but you knew it was going to be a train wreck, but you did it anyway. And it's that inner monologue of those arguments at the end of a relationship that everyone has mixed in with just the white noise you hear if you're walking in a crowded area. Like, you'll hear people randomly just, you know, sing the Meow Mix song, or you will... Uh, <laughs> Here, you know, people just make a random joke out of context, and you're like, what, what about tapioca pudding or something? And it's just kind of a, <laughs> it's one of those. It's just kind of a interesting footnote of the human consciousness. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, this has been a fantastic uh, interview. Really, you know, uh, probably going to have to do a part two and learn some more LA stories and oh, for sure. see what you see, see what you're doing up. You know, maybe get a catch up in six months and see how the tour if it well be more than six months but if the tour happened and how it went yeah all right hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. thanks so much for thanks having us this was, this was no problem. Yeah. cool all right well thanks Very so much cool. thanks for having us thanks as always for listening i really hope you enjoyed this episode if you're interested in supporting this podcast then i'd be extremely grateful if you would i have added a page on musiconyourownterms.com to allow you to do just that on that page, I have added some eBay affiliate links to equipment I use on the podcast. If you buy anything from eBay with these links, then I earn a commission which really helps me continue to provide this great content to you, the listener. Stay up to date with the podcast and find out who I'll be interviewing in upcoming episodes before they air by signing up for the mailing list at musiconyourownterms.com. On the site, you'll also find show notes for every episode, some pretty cool videos to check out from various guests, and also links to their music and social media if you want to find out more. While you're there, don't forget to take a peek at the store and pick up something for your grandma. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is the McGrath Project with Casey's Last Chance. Wake up, Sam! I'm gonna touch that? Ha! What's your plan? Another get rich quick scheme? Huh, not a fan. You just say stuff just because you can. Well, you know what? You're not as smart as you think you are. You think your son just sits in your pants? You've already used up your last chance. You call that swat? Well, you ain't got a clue. You snows your nose. What are you gonna do? now. You love Lucy and your fair faucet hair. You're wrapped up in your snuggie with your kung fu panda bear. You blow up my phone with your texts and your tweets. Oh my god, just shut up! 5,000 friends, this is where the fun begins. You're a Facebook junkie. You talk and talk and talk and think that people are listening, but all they hear is like totally meow, meow, meow. You think the sun just sits in your pants? You've already
Bertabolina. 